We're going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 13 this morning. And if you happen to be online, uh, if you can grab a Bible at home, you can read along with us. But we're going to start with the last part of the final verse of chapter 12 up through verse 7. Let's do this together. And now I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men or angels but do not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy or can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Let's go to prayer for a minute. And I, I have to tell you that uh, one of the people we're praying for this morning is Jean Devoisin. I uh, learned yesterday that Jean was diagnosed with leukemia and is going to be beginning treatments uh, immediately. Uh, but they asked that we would pray for them specifically. So we're praying for, for Gene. We're continuing to pray for Tom Harrison. I want to pray for the Smith family, if you happen to meet them. They're here from Texas for a family funeral. And uh, let's just bring all this to the Lord. Father God, thank you for the way that you work in our lives. Thank you that we can bring to you our praises and our joys, our frustrations. We also know that we're not exempt from the hardships of life in this wonderful yet still broken world with all of its broken systems. This morning we lift up Gene and we ask that you pour out your mercy on him and work through the doctors and the medical process. And I know that all this is a shock to their family and even to us in hearing this today, but we ask that you would use this to bring his, his cancer into remission and that you'd preserve his life. Today we ask that you'd give strength to Tom and that you'd give him the ability to, to fight back and to, to grow with energy and strength and to have his appetite return. We thank you for him and his faithfulness through all of this process. We ask that you'd surround the Smith family while they're here to say goodbye to Dave's mom. And, and uh, Lord, we ask that you would do something amazing through this whole process for them. Lord, you know each hardship that we carry. You know, the, the hearts that are breaking and that are filled with questions about why prayers haven't been answered the way we want in the time frame we want, and we know that we don't have answers to all of that. We submit to you. We know that you are great, you are powerful, and you work in amazing ways, even though we wouldn't have chosen the pathway. Yours ends up being more wonderful in the end, but it takes a lot of trust from us. Give us the faith that we need to hang on to work through all the challenges of life and to appreciate the joys along the way too. We thank you for each of these high school students and we ask that you will unfold open doors for them and that you will lead them well, that you will take their faith to, to new high points and that you will allow them to discover their gifts and their talents and how they can make a difference in this world. Today as we begin to talk about your love and how we understand your love. 
We ask that you would open our eyes to the Scriptures and that you would teach us something new and that you would give us practical information that we can act on. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, some of you may realize that a few weeks ago, one of the greatest rock and roll singers, Tina Turner, sometimes called the queen of rock and roll, passed from this life. She was well known for surviving an abusive marriage to her first husband, Ike Turner, and she was 83 years old when she died, and before she did that, she sold over 100 million records over her career. One of her best-selling songs came out in 1984, and it was called, What's Love Got to Do With It? Do you remember that song? Well, at that point, her career, which had started in the 1950s and 60s, had kind of died out toward the middle of the 1970s. She was still doing Rolling on the River tributes wherever they, they talked about her. And then this album, Private Dancer, with the hit song, What's Love Got to Do With It, arrived in 1984, and it led to what was called one of the greatest comebacks in rock history. Tina Turner was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame twice, in 1991 with her ex-husband, and then as a solo artist in 2021. By the way, before coming, becoming known as Tina Turner, she was actually born Anna Mae Bullock. So our friend Teresa Ware, who's here this morning, who was born into the musically gifted Bullock family from Boston, has wondered with me if there might have been a family connection somewhere down the line. Teresa, if you start dancing and singing rock and roll, you're going to be the new queen of rock and roll here. Some of you may remember North River's earliest years, and we had the Bullock brothers and the sons of the Bullock brothers who all played here at, at North River, and then I think uh, Edmund Bullock recorded an album in David Coates' studio as well. Okay, I bring all of this up to say that Tina Turner brought up a great question that leads into our topic today. What's love got to do with it? So the question for this morning for us is, what kind of love is the Bible talking about when it brings up this love that we just read about in 1 Corinthians chapter 13? Today we're kicking off a new series that we're calling All About Love. And so for the next 10 weeks, we're going to be looking at several of the ways that the Bible talks about and communicates love to us. We'll be able to look at this from a number of different angles. Why? Why take 10 weeks on one concept? Well, as you'll see from today's message, love is so important that the absence of love renders everything else ineffective in life. If you want to have some fun with us over the next few weeks as we talk about all about love, you have to realize our, our subtitle is The Summer of Love. And no, this is not 1969, but if you want to show up in tie-dye t-shirts, it'll, it'll be welcome here and you may just fit right in. Perhaps some of us will join you. So, good morning to all of you who are here today at North River. I'm glad to see that we have pretty much a full house today. And if you're watching online with us, we're glad that you're here as well and that you've taken time to prioritize this hour. Wherever you are, we're glad that you are participating and that you make this a priority. Some of you are checking us out online, and we're thrilled that, that you are doing that. Uh, we invite you to kick the tires, check us out, ask questions. Questions are good around here. Most importantly, I hope you will think deeply about Jesus, perhaps in ways that you never have before, and that you will move in his direction. So let's dive in. Our opening topic in this series is defining love. Now, you may be aware that 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which we read about half of this morning, is known as the love chapter. 
For many years, 1 Corinthians 13 was read at so many weddings that there was actually a backlash that caused wedding couples to say, read anything but 1 Corinthians 13. I want to make my wedding stand out. I don't want it to be just like everybody else's wedding. But there's a context to this chapter. The Apostle Paul's thoughts about love are so important, they interrupt the Bible's most thorough discussion about the use of spiritual gifts, which surrounds this in chapter 12 and in chapter 14 of his letter to the Corinthian church. So the question is, for me, what does Paul want us to know about love, and what is so important that he would interrupt the Bible's largest discussion about spiritual gifts to do that? Here's the first discovery. Love is so important that we must talk about its absence. The first three verses of this chapter, here's what Paul says. If I speak in the tongues of angels but do not love, I am only a a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy or can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. The absence of love negates great speech. That's part of what Paul is telling us. The ability to speak or preach well becomes meaningless if it comes from a person who is not able to love along with that. The ability to speak in other language or heavenly tongues becomes just noise The absence of love destroys all forms of great speech. Now, Paul is talking about speaking in tongues, which is a a supernatural gift that God gave only to some people in the church. But talking in an unknown language means nothing if there's not love. In describing all this, Paul refers to a gong or uh, an overuse of drummer's cymbals when they're just clashing in the air. When I hear those words about gongs or cymbals, it takes me back to a story from when I was a little boy. When I was a young boy of about five years old, a childhood disease left me temporarily deaf. I was playing on the porch by myself, according to my mom, because I don't remember this, but uh, I didn't respond to her calls. And she spoke up louder, and eventually, when I wasn't responding, she took some pot covers, and she began to clang them just over my head, and I didn't move. And that's when they realized that something was really wrong led to a trip to the doctor who determined that I had temporarily lost my hearing, but it would likely come back. I'm so glad it did. I can't read these verses without thinking about that, these clanging symbols that had no impact. The absence of love cancels out faith, knowledge, and prophecy, Paul says. In other words, you can have great faith, but without love, no one will follow you. You can speak prophetic words about the future, but no one will listen You can acquire tremendous knowledge about life, about God, about the Bible, but if that is not accompanied by love, none of this will be useful. None of this will be effective. He is telling us that the absence of love trumps every sacrificial act that we could possibly offer to God. The absence of love trumps all, all of the money that you might give to the poor. The absence of love trumps taking on great hardships. You can do heroic sacrificial acts, but you gain nothing when it is done for selfish reasons and apart from love. That's the opening observation. Love is so important that the absence of it has a negative effect on just about everything in life. Here's a second discovery that I make from from reading through this passage again. Love is the most excellent way. 
It's interesting that the final verse of chapter 12 reads this way, eagerly desire the greater gifts, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 31 becomes the bridge that introduces this love chapter in chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians. These letters and books of the Bible, you may realize, didn't originally have chapters and verses. Breaking them down into chapters was an adventure that came around 1227 AD. It was done by an Anglican leader, Stephen Langdon, who was the Archbishop of Canterbury. And then about 100 years later, somebody else started breaking the chapters down into verses. The Wycliffe Bible was the first one to be printed with these chapter and verse divisions. They're helpful to us, but you have to realize that those are the inventions of men. They were not originally part of the Bible. This is one occasion when it seems clear that the chapter division comes in the wrong place. The back half of verse 31 of chapter 12 looks like it belongs to chapter 13. Because Paul here introduces a whole new topic as the most excellent way. In other words, he's saying, while we're talking about spiritual gifts, let me show you something that's even more important than all of the spiritual gifts. It's love. We also define love by its features. So we read a few moments ago these verses. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Some of you may be aware that the Greek language that the New Testament was written in has four words that are used for love. In our English language, we use love for everything, and you have to determine by context what it means. I love the Red Sox. I love my wife. I love North River. I love God. Those are very different things and very different kinds of, of love. So in the Greek language, there was the word philos, which speaks of a brotherly love. Think of Philadelphia, the love of a brother. It's the kind of love we have for our friends. Then there's storge, which is a parental love. Think of the love a mother has for a newborn child. Sometimes we think of moms as mama bears. Don't get in the way of that. If you're out in the woods and you discover a couple of little cubs, they tell you right away, get away from them. Because if you go near those little cubs, you're going to discover mama bear very quickly and you're in trouble. Then there's eros. Eros gives us the word uh, erotic. It's, it's speaking of romantic or sexual love, which is very powerful, but also can, can be corrupted. But then there's a fourth word, and it's the, the word agape. This was a word that had fallen out of use by the time that the New Testament was written, but it was readily used and available in classical Greek in a time before that. So Jesus and the Bible writers chose to use this concept of agape love and to pour a new meaning into it. When they used it, they referred to a higher form of love that comes from outside of ourselves that has to come from God himself to us. This is not brotherly love or merely parental instinct or even erotic love. It is love of a divine kind or a love from outside of ourselves or a love from on high. This is the love that Paul was describing here, this agape love that comes to us from God. Now notice here in these verses, Paul lists 15 positive and negative features of this love of a divine kind. The first two are positive. It is patient and it is kind. 
And then there are seven, seven negatives that tell us about what love is not. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. And then we find a contrast. Love, this kind of love, real love, doesn't delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. We see those two play out in our world a lot. There are lots of people that delight in the evil things that happen, but God's love delights in the truth and rejoices with it. And then there are four things that this kind of love always does. Not all loves in the world, but this love, this love of a divine kind. It always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. If you're looking to understand what real love is, study this list. This is the kind of love that we find in Jesus. Some studies tell us that a number of men, for instance, don't come to church because if they think that the message is too feminine and not manly enough. I've heard this plenty of times over the years. But think about this. Guys, especially if you're at home, the guys here, you're, you're already here, we're, we're grateful. But Jesus offers the most powerful he-man love that is possible. With a word, he spoke the universe into existence. With a word, he raised Lazarus from the tomb four days after he was dead. With a word, he calmed the wind and stopped the waves, and they obeyed him. Jesus is not some wimpy, mamby-pamby guy. He's the powerful, mighty son of God. And now he wants to fill you with the same kind of love that led him to die on a cross for other people in the most heroic act of all history. This is the love we find in the shepherd who gives his love for the sheep. Real men and real women pursue and are filled with the sacrificial, other-centered love of Jesus. Okay, what do we do with this? I have a few thoughts. Number one, recognize that this is the kind of love that God gives us. We're not born with it. It's a love that comes from outside of ourselves. It comes from God in heaven as we grow in Christ, as we commit our lives to Christ. And it's this kind of love that is patient, is kind, that does not envy, does not boast, is not proud, it doesn't dishonor others, is not self-seeking, is not easily angered, and keeps no record of wrongs. This kind of love that comes from outside of ourselves does not delight in evil but rejoices with the, with the truth. And it's this kind of love that always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. You are not expected to come up with this all on your own. Know this, that God himself loves you like this. Does God get irritated every time you mess up and reject you when you do? No. He's not easily angered. He doesn't keep a record of wrongs. All right, there's something going on in the back of the room. Don't turn. But folks are taking care of it. Somebody's in trouble. We're just going to stop and pray for a minute, and I'll go on, Okay. God, you know the brother or sister who needs help right now. Thank you for our teams that are responding with kindness and the very love we're talking about. We pray for uh, an intervention from you right now for this friend. What's going on right now is more important even than my talking. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're not expected to come up with this all by ourselves. And this is not about performance tests. This isn't the time to look at each other and say, well, you don't look like that completely. You don't love according to 
all the things on this list. There might be one of the positives you're missing or one of the negatives that you do. This is about the long-term transformational work that God does when we are alive in Christ. And it's gradual change that he brings. He keeps deepening our capacity to love and changing hard hearts into soft hearts. Sometimes the radical change that he brings is dramatic and fast-moving too, and we get wowed by that. God produces these characteristics of love in us more and more as we submit to his leading. So step one would be for you, draw near to God and, and make that a daily request to receive more of the love that God gives. Step two, read over and meditate on these verses from 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Step three, ask the Lord to make these features of divine love a part of your daily life. So along with recognizing that this is the love that God gives, then rejoice that God does this for us through his Holy Spirit. Notice how there's some overlap between what we read about here with the love of God in 1 Corinthians 13 and the, the uh, spiritual gifting, the fruit of the Spirit that Paul writes about in Galatians chapter 5. There he wrote, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Together, these are the fruit of the Holy Spirit. But notice the overlap. In a very direct way, we read about love, patience, and kindness in both of these lists. This is telling us that we receive love from God while the Holy Spirit also produces these characteristics within us from the inside. And the last suggestion would be, let go and keep in step. The next few verses in Galatians chapter 5, Paul writes, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Make sure you belong to Christ. Do you? Have you put your faith in Christ? If you only have a notional or intellectual assent to the work of God in your life, you're at a disadvantage because at the moment that you surrender to Christ, the Holy Spirit becomes active in your life in a whole new way. Keep letting go of the old nature, the old selfish part of you, and allow that to die out and keep in step with the Holy Spirit daily, inviting his work in our hearts and our minds and moving where he leads. So here's the big idea for this morning. I want to conclude with this. God calls for and provides a love from on high while his spirit works within us and we surrender. This is the foundation of what we're going to talk about for the next several weeks as we define love and then we're going to look at different dimensions of it. Let's pray. God, our Father, thank you for allowing us to gather here this morning and to, to sing about your love to reflect on your love, and then to investigate a little bit about what the Scriptures teach us. Open our eyes and our understanding and our experience of your love over the next several weeks. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.